Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. What I want to talk about today is the power of encounter. The power of encounter and why encounter matters. I really enjoyed just uh, being able to do a whole series and, and leverage our church name in there like that. It's very helpful. But I want to talk about why encounter matters. Because I think sometimes in this particular era we live in, a cultural moment where we are distant from each other, we forget that encounter actually matters. We forget that intimacy matters. We spend so long in digital forms or isolated from one another in different ways that we forget how important encounter is. Let me tell you how I know encounter matters. Because I had a huntsman spider in my house recently. I know encounter matters because I've looked at pictures of huntsman spiders on the internet. You know, the fancy thing that goes around the globe digitally, that thing, the internet. And I went on that and I saw pictures of huntsman spiders. And I looked at them and I said, that's horrible. Then I saw one in my house and it's very, very different. Now, of course, this is not the first time I've seen a huntsman spider. I live in Australia, right? They're everywhere. By the way, everyone, to the spider-friendly people out here, just spoilers, I killed it so good. I really killed that thing. And oh, no, 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 it's safe, it's safe. It's called a hunts man. It hunts man. It hunts people. That's what it does. It hunts you and kills you in your sleep. That's what they do. There's an agenda from the spiders. And they send the huntsman first. Just saying. Then the little ones come. Don't let me keep going. Anyway, I'm keeping on going. Huntsman, saw one in my house. How do I know? Because I was peacefully having a moment of solitude on the toilet. Too much information, but you need to know this. When everybody in my house screams, everybody, and they're screaming for me, only I can solve this spider-related problem. I don't like spiders. I've never been good with spiders. I don't know why this is... They know that, actually. There's no assumption. I was just about to say there's an assumption. They know there's no assumption here. They know I'm not good with spiders. They're just less good with spiders. So they ask me, they're like, there's a huntsman. I'm like, all right, it's a spider. Everybody chill out. Whoa! And suddenly it's real close. And so more teen and shoes and it's done. It's done quickly. But it was quite close. Now that's scary. But it's not as scary as when there's a, you're driving along and there's a huntsman on your car window. Yeah, you know that feeling. And you're driving along, you're like, oh! And you're like, okay, okay, it's fine as long as I can see it. It's gone. Great. It's gone. It could literally be anywhere. I am going to live in this car the rest of my life. <laughs> That's a close encounter. What's the only thing that tops that? When it's inside the car. Because if you're in traffic, you can't go anywhere, but the huntsman can go wherever it wants. And it can be going to your left, it can be going to your right, it can come underneath. Encounter matters. Encounter matters. Presence matters. I don't care how terrifying a huntsman looks like in a photo on the net. If it's in my car near me, it is much more terrifying. Encounter matters. Think of it this way, to put it a different way. Let's say you begin online dating. You digitally meet that special someone. Hopefully you're not swiping to find them. I'm just throwing my opinions out left and right today. <laughs> Kill the spiders, that for Tinder. All right, anyway. But when you see them online and you start chatting, back in my day, it was through ICQ, the zenith of internet connections. 
everyone here is like, I don't even understand that reference enough to laugh at you. <laughs> we started through ICQ and then it goes through MSN. Anyone remember MSN? Yeah, now, it, now we're hitting the target market. All right, MSN. And we keep moving. Now, this is great. You're building connection. You're building a relationship. But at some point, you're like, I would like to meet you in person. How about that? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing to have a relationship where we meet face to face? Because the reality is that's what we all want at the end of the day. We want a connection. Encounter matters. And so in this text we read today, it's all about an encounter. Now, switching gears for a second, when we talk about encountering Jesus, we come at this in a whole bunch of different ways, right? Like for some of us, this is an idea we flatly don't believe in. There are some of you here in this room, you don't believe in God. That is absolutely fine. Again, it's actually awesome you're here. I'm really glad for that. And one of the reasons you may not believe in God is because you feel there hasn't been enough proof. And I think that's actually a really good question to ask. If we're here and we haven't asked the question, what's the proof of the existence of God? We're probably not taking our faith seriously enough. Um, If you jump on our podcast at some point, I I preached on Easter Sunday a message about how we can trust in the resurrection of Jesus. And that might be a space to get started because we don't have a whole lot of time tonight to unpack all that. But it's worth asking. But there's a branch of of Christianity um, and unpacking Christianity known as apologetics. And apologetics is an an explaining and a defending and and helping people understand why we believe what we believe. And in theory, in theory, apologetics is ironclad. You come at it with your arguments. Somebody goes, I don't believe in God. And you're like, well, let me show you my arguments. Boom, apologetics. You got answered. You know what those people do? They shrug and go, don't care. This is, it's fascinating. You would think, in theory, in this world we live in where so much of our lives are grounded by, can you prove it? Is it scientifically proven? Is it verifiable? You would think that offering some ironclad answers would give people proof, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Now, why doesn't it is the question. Why is it that you can be in an argument on Facebook? No, none of you have, I'm sure, just other people. You can be in an argument on Facebook, and you can give what you think is a withering, definitive response, and the other person just shoots right back, and you can be there going, I know for a fact that's wrong, but I still haven't changed their mind. Why is it? Because information doesn't get us anywhere, friends. Only transformation gets us somewhere. Information is just knowledge. It just goes into your head, and that's great. It's nice. It's helpful. But at the end of the day, it's not going to take you to a different place in your life. It's not going to take you from who you were into who God is longing for you to be. You need a transformation that might begin in the head and go to the heart and go through to the spirit. You need an encounter. Because encounters, funnily enough, these spiritual experiences that so many of us have had, that have shaped our lives and shaped our faiths and and pushed us towards this place where we go, I know exactly who I am. Encounters are rarely things that you can explain to someone really clearly. Often someone will say, so, so Mike, you said just before you had an experience, you were 19, you walked into church, what happened? I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, so I got invited and um, I was sitting at the back and uh, there was some singing like there is today and then and somebody preached and, um, and then I was crying and I don't, I don't really know why. Like, oh, that's God, you reckon? Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I get, I, no, I see how that sounds, but 
you, you don't understand what kind of tears. Like, what, were they fresh water? Like, no, come on. <laughs> it's very difficult to explain the encounters we have spiritually, supernaturally. But they're actually the ones that transform us as people. Because what they do is they rewrite the story of our life. Information doesn't do that. Information informs our story. Transformation transforms our story. It totally transforms the narratives we live by. Because at some point, you have an experience, and yes, you measure it against information. But you look around and you say, this is real. This has happened. What do I do with it? And part of our job is to take those experiences, chase after them, treasure them, unpack them, and move forward. That's what I want to get into tonight. So we have these four verses in Matthew chapter 8. These four verses. Jesus heals a leper or a man with leprosy. Fun fact, I I once interviewed somebody from the leprosy mission, and I used the word leper, which I just thought was the word you would use. You do not call them lepers. I found that out very, very quickly. You do not call them lepers. A person with leprosy. A person with leprosy. Now, for those that don't know, uh, leprosy nowadays is more commonly known as Hansen's disease. It's a very real, very dangerous um, and painful disease that affects many people across many nations, particularly sub-Saharan Africa, parts of Southeast Asia. Largely speaking, what happens is your nerve endings go, so you can't feel things. And it, and it keeps on sort of building its way further back up your body, so different parts of your body can't be felt. So you can get very, very badly hurt because at some point uh, it's, you can put a hand down on something and it gets burnt and you don't even realise. So it's happening more and more until you smell it. Horrifying, I know, but this is the sort of thing. People with leprosy often get hurt not only because of the pain being caused to them, but because they can't feel pain being caused to them. In biblical times, though, the understanding of the word leprosy was a bit broader. Leprosy meant anything that was some sort of skin and physical disfigurement. It was something that when you looked at it, you were like, well, that's clearly diseased. So, for example, I don't actually know and scholars don't know how people in biblical times would have dealt with people with large birthmarks. This could have been something that in biblical times people went, this is leprosy. We're in, the, we're in the ancient Near East here. We don't know enough about medicine, but we know that doesn't look what we're used to, so we think it's leprosy. Now, that's not heaps nice, but where it gets a bit nastier is what they do with the lepers. See, in the ancient Israelite societies, what they did with the lepers was they took them, And they pointed outside the walls of the city and they said, that's where you live now. You cannot have contact with anyone. You are ritually unclean. You are spiritually unclean. You are physically ill. You cannot have contact with anyone because you could make us sick. And in fact, if anyone came near where they were outside the city or they they moved in their area and, and came near a healthy person, they had to say, unclean, unclean, as they walked along so that people could move out the way. They might as well have had a nun with a bell screaming shame as they walked down the street. It's a tough look for people with leprosy. So here we come to the story that Jesus is in the midst of. And Jesus comes down from the mountain with large crowds following him. And the mountain he comes down from, by the way, is if you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount, he's just given the Sermon on the Mount. And crowds are following him, and a man with leprosy comes right up to him. He's surrounded by people, but this man comes right up to him. We automatically know this is no ordinary person, because he's not allowed to do this. And he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. He kneels before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
And there is a multitude in that sentence. See, when he's saying clean, he is coming with his immediate physical need. He's saying, Lord, Jesus, he's calling Jesus Lord, which is like saying, Jesus, you're God. You're God, and I'm acknowledging it to your face. Saying, Lord, you can heal me. If you want to, you can heal me. Here is my need. You can see me. Look at my skin. Look at my body. You know what it's like for people like me. Would you heal me? This is the way you and I normally come to God. We have an immediate need, a felt need. We say, God, God, I don't know if I'm going to make the rent this week. God, I've got a disease and I haven't got a diagnosis yet and I'm really scared. We say, God, my kids are out there and they're away and they're in trouble and I don't have any way to help them. I need you to intervene. Here's what's in common with these things. They are all felt needs, but none of them are our greatest need. So often we come to God with real problems that aren't our real problem. And I just, want, I just want to separate this from, from, you know, when you come to God and you're like, I've got a cold. Could you make me not have a cold, God? You know, like, do you know what? Bring that to God in prayer. Bring everything to God in prayer. God loves you. He loves to be in a relationship with you. He loves to hear your voice. But there are times where we bring real, world-shattering problems to God that we cannot control. And we feel like we have nothing left. And we say, God, I'm just, I'm just pouring myself out here. And it feels like God doesn't answer. So it's up for grabs what Jesus does in this passage. The man with leprosy comes before him with a felt need and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. But he's saying a lot more than that, isn't he? He's saying a lot more than would you deal with my physical needs because we know as well from what I just said that these people were outcasts. If they had leprosy, they couldn't be with their family because their family would be viewed as unclean. They couldn't have a job because what are you going to touch? Anything you touch becomes ritually unclean in the eyes of Jewish law. So these people were isolated. So when the leper comes to Jesus, he's not just saying, heal me. He's saying, would you restore me? There's a deeper need in my spirit. I am hungry to know I am a worthwhile human being. I have no human dignity. Why won't you let me be included? God, you're my only hope, Jesus. And so he comes and kneels before Jesus, and Jesus does something extraordinary. Recognizing that everybody understood in those days that leprosy was contagious, even if they didn't fully understand what leprosy was. Recognizing that everyone knew that if you touched a leper, they were unclean, so you became unclean. Jesus looks at him, reaches out his hand, puts it on his shoulder and says, I'm willing, be clean. In that one physical act, Jesus does more than just heal the person physically. Because so many of us, and if you've ever had something extraordinary happen, you know this. So many of us come with our felt need. We say, this is what I want, this is what I desire, and it's real. I have leprosy, I need healing. It's not a trick question, (laughs) Heal me, please. But that's not her greatest need. And not only that, it's not even our greatest desire. Because I've got no doubt that as much as this man wanted to be healed from his physical pain, it was his isolation that was far, far worse. Imagine having a family 
Imagine that you only contracted leprosy when you were my age, 21 <laughs> or so. You have a family, you're in your 30s, and you've spent your whole life with them, and, and you've grown up, and you love them, you've got young kids, you hug them, you kiss them, and you contract leprosy. And that's it. You're out. You're on the outer. How's that? That pain is so much worse than physical pain. And for so many of us, when we come to God with the needs that we're wrestling with, that we're kind of angry at God when he's not answering, there's something much deeper going on. There's an emotional disconnection happening. There's something at the, at the very core of us breaking that we need God to step in and do something about. There's a social disconnection happening because at all of the core of our beings, there is a desire to love and be loved. And it requires intimacy. It requires an encounter. It requires physical presence. So for the leper, he didn't have that. So when Jesus put his hand on him, he stopped playing the game. He stopped playing the game it was meant to be, the way it was meant to be played by the Jewish people and said, I see you, I heal you. Not only do I heal you, I am willing to touch you, willing to look at you, willing to restore you into community. I will be the first. I will include you. That's the kind of encounter that Jesus brings. And if you're here today and you've come before Jesus before and you said, I've got this physical thing and it's a burden. And again, it's real. It is a real burden. There's something that I don't know how to deal with. Only you can. God is wanting to deal with that, but he's wanting to deal with something deeper as well. One of, one of the greatest series of all time, book series of all time, is the Chronicles of Narnia. Who's read the Chronicles of Narnia? So good. Like, Reading, I'm reading them fresh with my kids, and they make me cry. Like I tear up reading the Chronicles of Narnia. They're so powerful. But in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, it's got, um, it's got this character, Eustace. Voyage of the Dawn Treader, by the way, starts off with a line, there once was a boy called Eustace Scrub, and he almost deserved it. And it's just like the greatest opening line ever. It's better than Call Me Ishmael. Anyway, Eustace Scrub. He, he turns into a dragon through greed. And Aslan, this representative of Jesus, comes to him and uh, and, and he starts scratching him, and then scales fall off. And Eustace is in incredible pain, but he realizes that this is helpful. So he sort of starts gnawing at it himself, and, and he gets a bit off, but he sees there's just more and more scales underneath. And Aslan, Jesus in this, is like, no, no, you don't get it. You can't do this yourself. You actually need me to do this. You need me to do this. You need me to step in and rip everything away to get you back to who you're meant to be. So Jesus reaches out and touches this le leper. Reaching out his hand, verse 3, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go about him, this is, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, the reason Jesus says that is because for people in this culture, once they were healed, there were some very specific rules about what they could and couldn't do. And we find them in the Bible in the book of Leviticus, which is not exactly like your bedtime reading, but worth a read if you're really wanting to. We read the book of Leviticus and we see the Jewish laws in detail. And there are about 30 verses in a row of what to do with people who are unclean and have unclean skin conditions and about exactly what you have to offer as an offering and about exactly how to do it. Now, Jesus, who famously said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. I'm actually the completion of all these rules. I'm not the destroyer of them. Says, now go to the temple 
and complete this ceremony. And to us today, we might go, that seems like a waste of time. He's already clean. It seems like a waste of time, but it's not. There's a couple of reasons it's not. The first is this. When he turns up, a former leper, known to be a leper, right? Somebody knew him. This was his community before he was cast out. He turns up in the temple and says, I am clean. That is proof that God's working among them. Don't ever discount the small miracles. It's proof that God's working among them. He comes and says, I am clean. But the second thing has actually nothing to do with the doves and which way you cut them and where you sacrifice them and all that. The second thing has everything to do with the fact that he can actually go to the temple. Because the truly brutal thing was not just that he was disconnected from his physical body and physical health, or that he was disconnected emotionally from his family, his loved ones, his friends, his work, his sense of purpose and dignity. The really brutal thing was he could not go to where God was. See, for the Jewish people, the temple was the center of their religion. That was where worship was based out of. That was where people went to go to God. They knew God was everywhere, right? Like it wasn't like, oh, he's only here. Yeah, God can't be anywhere else. They didn't, limit, they didn't limit God in their understanding, but they limited God in his presence. So if they wanted to encounter God, they actually couldn't. But the closest they could get was going to the temple. So for years, this leper has not only been isolated, he has been spiritually removed from his God. That's pretty dark. That's a dark place to be in. But it's that that Jesus really wants to do in him. Because we come back to this word clean. Jesus, he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean. And the word in the Greek for clean is not just a word for healing, it's a word from freeing from your sin. Because at the end of the day, friends, there are, there are three things you need. You need freedom from the, you need healing, genuine healing, some of you, for what's going on in your life. And I pray that over these next four weeks, we'll actually press in in the least weird and least scary way possible to the idea of miracles, to the idea of healings. We're going to be praying for that. And then for some of you, you have deep emotional wounds. Many of them aren't even your fault, but they're there nonetheless, and they need true healing. But for all of us behind this is this idea that we are disconnected from our God. There is sin, a brokenness, a separation between us and our creator that we have put in place. And Jesus, when he leans out and says, I'm willing to be clean, is not only healing the man, he's restoring him into a relationship with God. God meets him face to face. Our true needs, what God wants for us, that's what happens. Here's what I think comes through for us there, guys. We hear a story like that, and we're like, cool, happened 2,000 years ago. Might be real, might be not, who knows? Depends where you stand with that. But then we have this thing like, okay, so what's the big deal? What is it for me? And some of you, you, you will have picked up on it already, the need, the desperate need for you to pursue an encounter with God. But for some of you, you might not have that yet. And you might not be in a place where you think that's even something I want. And one of the reasons might be, is you're like, do you know what? I don't want to have to bow down before God. I don't want to have to get down on my knees. Maybe you work for a terrible boss and you're like, I feel like all day, every day, I'm down on my knees serving this guy anyway. I'm, I'm working here. I'm doing this over there. I have to be 
face down on the ground, obeying someone else the rest of my life. I just want control over a small portion of my life. Is that so much to ask? And it's difficult because the reality is when we come to God, there is a humility required. There is a humility required. In fact, if we read that very first verse, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him. Surrounded by large crowds. This man, who's not even meant to be anywhere near other humans, kneels before Jesus. There is a humility required to pursue the presence of God. Because we have to take all our anger, all our preconceptions, all our cynicism, all our baggage, and say, fine, Fine, it's over there. I haven't quite got rid of it yet. It's sitting in the room. It's over on the side. But he, I'm here. I'm here. And God's saying, bit more, bit more, bit more. Okay, come, come humble, come humble. And there are some of us for whom we might say, what kind of God demands that we come and kneel before them in humility? What kind of God needs that? What kind of God, who's already all-powerful, has that kind of power trip that they have to be top down on us? The kind of God that came in person to die for you. The kind of God who came humbly and washed his disciples' feet. The act of a servant. The ultimate act. They wore sandals back then. They walked on dirt roads. Washing people's feet was legit. This is not just a bad sock day. This is some really disgusting stuff going on in people's feet. Right? No one's wearing orthotics, okay? (laughs) People's feet are messed up. And Jesus got down and he washed his disciples' feet. If you've ever had the weird and beautiful pleasure of having your feet washed, it is incredibly intimate. Incredibly intimate. You only do it if you're reenacting what Jesus did. It would be weird if, you know, like, hey, come around for the footy and uh, feet wash. (laughs) (laughs) But it's incredibly intimate. And imagine God himself has come down from heaven to serve you And he washes your feet in this intimate manner. And he looks at his followers and he says, whoever wants to become greatest of all must become servant of all. That's the kind of God who is asking you to open up to him. It's not a God who comes with a power trip. It's not a God who comes in anger or with wrath or demanding all these sacrifices because he himself was the sacrifice. It's all been done for you. There's an open door And Jesus is on the other side saying, come through. It's that easy. But it does require the humility to come and kneel down at the feet of Jesus and say, I need what only you have. And one of the things we're trying to teach over the next five weeks is how to pursue a spiritual experience with God. And you may think, oh, well, we shouldn't just chase a spiritual experience. Shouldn't we know and trust in God? Yeah, yeah, we should. But there is actually something trust-building about that spiritual experience. It's a hunger that people have. And weirdly, like I said before, people are hungrier for that than they are for proof, written proof about who Jesus was. Can you imagine if the man with leprosy came before Jesus and he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, yes, I can. Let me show you how I can prove my credentials to you. Here are the passages in the Old Testament I fulfilled. Here are some of the other miracles I did in some other places. Here's where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. Here's how I will prove to you that I am God. I'm going to be buried for three days. I'll be resurrected from the grave. I will appear to many people. And then I'll ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. You're welcome, man with leprosy. Have a nice day. 
What if he did? What if he did? What if he proved definitively to the man with leprosy, I am Jesus. I am the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. What if he proved it definitively and said, be blessed, have a nice day, I'm praying, prayers up, you know? The man isn't changed. He's not transformed. Because the point of pursuing a relationship with God is exactly that. It's not about the information you get. Am I right or am I wrong? Although, yes, we firmly believe that it is right. It's about the transformation that happens inside of you. Because God, if you let him, will change your life. He will absolutely change your life. He changed mine. He's changed many people's here. The question today is this. Are you willing to humble yourself before God like the man with leprosy in front of the crowds? What are you willing to do to have that encounter with you? Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.